verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. to episode 194 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast recorded in part on Thursday, October 16th, 2014 and available for download or streaming on Monday, October 20th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. And it's just us this week, Admirals. Jace will be taking the next few weeks off to pack up and make a move to another state. And Cookie here has been tasked with editing all of the video content recorded during our trip to Cryptic Studios and Perfect World Entertainment during the second week of October. So she may take a week or two off because we can't be overworking our team of volunteers. And the grumpy Cookie is no cookie at all. All right, Cookie, what do we have in store this week? For starters, we check out Star Trek Magazine's coverage of STO's Delta Rising expansion. What about the news this week? Well, haven't you heard? Star Trek Online's second expansion has been released. So what we're going to do is play our interview with QA lead Phil Farktoid Farkley, followed by an interview with the team behind all the new STFs, patrols, and PVE queues. We'll keep hailing frequencies open for this week's show and review your incoming messages next week. Admirals, you may have noticed that we've dropped all those sponsorship ads during the show. We listened to your feedback and understand it got in the way of your enjoyment of Priority One Podcast. So that's why we're moving our efforts to Patreon, a service that will allow us to reward patrons of this show, supporters like you. This production is a volunteer endeavor, Admirals, and we often spend our own money to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy. So please consider a monthly contribution by visiting patreon.com forward slash priority one. Let's check out what Star Trek magazine had to say about STO's Delta Rising. I don't know. Then let's check it out. The fall issue of the official Star Trek magazine is out, and at the heart of the issue is a nice spotlight on Delta Rising, with a summary of what players can expect from the expansion. But the expansion has hit, and we've covered all the key features being introduced, like the level cap increase, the new story missions, new PVEQs, new STFs, new adventure zones, specialization talent trees, intelligence officers, new Mark 14 gear, new starships, upgrade item systems, and upgrade starships. Did I miss anything? No, no, I think... Oh, wait. The voiceover from the original cast of Voyager. Now, the article does a really nice job of reviewing what players can expect, although I caught a misprint that read... Players can upgrade all of their ships to Tier 6. I wonder if that was the plan at the time of the interview and things had to change or if it was it was just a mistype. Hmm. Additionally, since the Delta Rising expansion is just about picking up where Voyager leaves off, they provide a list of episodes for players to watch that will bring them up to speed with all the species and backstory not already available in Star Trek Online. It's about 10 episodes or so. The section then sets the stage for what players can expect in Delta Rising, specifically about the adversaries players will engage while adventuring through the Quadrant. 
And lastly, we have a new RP story by Christine Kestrel-Thompson titled Backchannel Negotiations, which takes the Bortascu into the Delta Quadrant on one of their first adventures. And without giving away too much of the story, this is, again, a neat little thread from the grander piece of tapestry that breathes life into the characters of Star Trek Online. You really get into the mind of Captain Corrin and how she responds under pressure against the Hazari. If you call yourself a Klingon warrior, you're going to want to get your hands on the issue and read Kestrel's story. Anywho, that's that for Star Trek Online and Star Trek Magazine for this issue. Check it out, and if you've read the story, share your thoughts with us in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the forum post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. Let's meet QA lead Phil Farktoid Farkley and the content team behind the new PVEs, STFs, and patrols in two interviews from our visit to Cryptic Studios. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. All right, Captains. This afternoon we're joined by Phil Farkley. QA master. Well, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We're doing. We're, it's great, been great. exciting being here at uh, at Cryptic Studios for two days, being able to speak with a majority of the team and get to know the, what it takes to design the game. But it's not just about the designing the game, right? Oh no. No, it's about making sure it keeps running. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about a day in your life. A day in my life. Well, let's see. First of all. I wake up in the morning. No, let's get to the let's get to the good stuff. There's a lot of different stuff that I got to do. Depending on where we are in the release schedule, stuff like that. Usually we'll have a stand-up meeting and then we'll go into you know just getting into the content. Like if there's we run by dev schedule. So they will say, "Okay, this this episode is ready for you guys to test." So that's our cue to just jump into action and go crazy. We have a several passes that we'll do on like uh, on an episode it's like they'll they'll do have they talked to you about like white boxing and all that the kind of setup yeah a little bit we've heard about it but it's still like some of those terms are still very vague for me mm-hmm. well in in dev white boxing is for us it's literally there's white boxes like you instead of walls or terrain or whatever it's just a bunch of white boxes basically placeholders mm-hmm. it's all placeholder stuff and that's for the designer to set down uh, NPCs, enemies, contacts, interacts, all that kind of stuff to get the flow of the mission properly. So we will go in there and it looks like something out of the Matrix. It's like everything is Drink. neat and clean. Or actually it's closer to Portal 2. <laughs> I'm sorry, we have an ongoing joke about uh, mentioning the Matrix because I'm a big Matrix fan. Oh yeah? So, yeah okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually had like two Matrix references today. Anyway, so it is. it does look a little bit like portals and it's really clean. So we will go in there and play the mission as you normally would. That's the first thing. You go in and say, well, this, you know, this MTC is missing or these guys aren't attacking us or that sort of thing. Or like, well, we can't win this mission right now because this guy fell off the cliff and now he's dead. So... That is our first pass. And then after that, we allow the artists to come in, and they will actually build out the whole map and make it look real pretty. And then at that point, we're going to do a full test pass, which includes a, several, a bunch of Excel sheets. It's like a checklist of like all this stuff. Dev has told us all of these things are going to happen at this time. And so we have to go there and make sure that they're not filthy liars. So... <laughs> 
we will go in and then and then at this point we're playing it as eight different people like one of us is going to be uh, like the tourists they're just going to be looking around reading everything trying to get into the world uh, one of us is going to be the min maxi type who just screams through everything just to get the reward and there's a bunch in between so <laughs> I think I'm like I think I'm in between like I I love content but I also like getting my my numbers higher Right. So it's a lot of that sort of thing. Because we have individual missions and episodes and stuff, we can keep it pretty compact, but a lot of it involves going through the same thing over and over and over and over and over and watching it slowly get better and cleaner. And the bugs go up, and then they plateau, and then they go back down. So that is pretty much what we do in a nutshell. Now, how do you handle bug reporting and feedback from, from the community? Uh, well, we use uh, a Jira bug database, which is all browser-based, which is worlds better than what I used to use, like EA or something. Um, I hope they use Jira now. Everything goes into Jira. It's all data. It's all database. It's like bug number. I think we're up to like fifty some thousand. So like five two four eight three. Here's the bug. Uh, this is what happened. Here's how you reproduce it. So like go to this map, do do X, be in this location, and then you have the result. This is what happened, and then you have the expected result, which is, you know, this guy should not explode, or what have you. I don't know if we have any exploding guys. <laughs> Probably should. Anyway, that is how we do it, and then when we reach out to, like, the forums or Reddit or the chat channels or anything like that, it still all goes into JIRA. It's just through a secondary person. It's like, oh, here's a forum post of someone saying that my pants are on backwards. So we'll take that data, <clears throat> actually go into the game and go, oh, yeah, his pants are backwards. And then it goes into the Jira database, and it goes to who needs to get it done. And then once development has it fixed, they will send it back to us and say, hey, we fixed this, I think. And then we'll come back and look at it again, which is called regression. We look at it and say, well, you know, it's, he's sort of halfway fixed. Like, his pants are only half on backwards now. So they always send it back and back and forth. Usually they're pretty good. Like, I'd say about a 90% fix rate, but some stuff is weird. So that, that is how our system works. We have a giant database. We put everything into, like, buckets. Like, we have Delta Rising is a huge bucket, and then it spirals off into, like, Episode 1, Episode 2. You know, here's the patrols. Here's all this other stuff. And so it all feeds back up into it. And then we have to run, like, lots of filters to do bug searching and finding all this stuff, you know, was this bug written already? Because you're getting in trouble because it's a duplicate. Yeah, it's just, it's being able to curate a database is one of, it's one of my biggest jobs. In our conversations with developers, we find that uh, they've, they, or they have discussed with us how sometimes, you know, you fix one thing, but it snowballs and it's a horrible avalanche of, a hot mess when you just change one little thing. A hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you control that? I mean, how do you, you know, when you go and you think that you're about to fix something, some egregious bug, hmm. you know, you, you're trying to do step one, but how do you think of step seven when you're trying to fix a bug? Um, that is where the detective work comes in. So I liken it to 
Um, well, I'd rather look like Benedict Cumberbatch myself as a, a Sherlock character, but actually I'm more of a Martin Freeman. Anyway, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of trying to figure out why something is the way it is. Uh, let me tell you one of my favorite stories about this. It was the Friday night before the first episode of the 2800 was going to drop, um, which I had done the voice of the... Uh, what was his name? Little pig dude. Anyway, um, we still had this massive crash that would cause everybody playing that mission to get kicked out of the game. Sucks. So we had we had sort of figured out like, well, maybe if you're on a team, and then if you watch the cutscene, and then three people run this way and two people run that way, we can get it. But it didn't work every time. So. We kept iterating back and forth. This took like two weeks. And by the end of it, we were like, well, I think we can get this with one person. And then maybe if you don't even have to do this. And it's just, it's, you know, you're getting rid of all the variables. It's like, well, you don't need all these people. You have this cutscene. Maybe it's this. So the night of, at about three o'clock in the morning, we said, oh, wait, all you have to do is run over here and play this cutscene. And it crashed every time. And that was just like, oh my god. It took so long and so many man hours to figure out what this was. And it was this one dumb thing that they fixed in like 10 minutes. So <laughs> the, the secret behind keeping the snowball away is to understand why a bug is the way it is and what it's doing and like what it's, what it's talking to. And then going, well, if I talk to you then you don't break it, so I don't care about you. What about you? It's like interrogating variables. It's NCIS, but we can't enhance. That sort of thing. <laughs> enhance. Yes. Enhance. I guess with all, so many new entire systems in Delta Rising, because we have ship upgrades, mm -hmm. item upgrades, oh, yeah. whole new levels of content. Yeah, buddy. Um, adventure zones using innovative new ways to, to design stories where large number of groups are at once and mm -hmm. scaling up and down again. What would you say is the biggest challenge or obstacle you faced? Uh, I'm sure you guys sort of did these things one at a time internally and then introduced them to each other, but what has given you the biggest headache or, or been the surprise outlier that you've had to spend a lot of time on? Hmm. Well, we've gotten better over the years as everyone sort of figured out where all the like where you would expect it to fail. But I think one of the, the biggest problems that we have in QA and will be ongoing is that we have a small team. Like, usually if you watch the credits for another game, you always say, it's like, here's the designers, designers, testers, and there's 800 names under the testing stuff. And then there's publishing QA and maybe some dev QA, and it's... They have, you know, they have 100 people. We don't have that. We, got like, we have six. So we don't have the ability to do a lot of big group testing. Like, consider the Kabali zone. I mean, how many people? I think there's supposed to be 15 or 20 people in there, and we got six. And we also don't have a lot of time to do a lot of group stuff. So we rely on the designers to give us little cheats. So specifically with the Kabali zone, we have a little command that says, uh, it, it tells the game that there's actually a bunch of people on the map right now, 
but it's just me, so I'm being sneaky. So I will turn on this command and run in, and suddenly there's enough bad guys for a whole group. And so that's how we make sure that that sort of stuff works. So sometimes we have to ask for that. Uh, usually we don't. But the biggest challenge is that since this is an MMO, there's going to be a lot of people crashing against the waves. We simply don't have the, the manpower to you know compare to that, which is why we rely on the forums quite a bit because once you get a thousand eyes on something, someone's going to notice something different. And then we take that idea extrapolate it and go, oh, yeah, you're right. That's a bug. Yeah. How do you prioritize bugs? Bug submissions, things that, you know, players, because one player thinks that, you know, this bug is more important than the other bug. Why hasn't this bug been fixed? You know, that kind of back and forth. So I think maybe, you know, trying to understand what, how you prioritize. You get a ticket, you know, what, what makes this a bug that needs to be fixed now versus one that maybe gets pushed to a later date? Well, the most important bugs that we get usually involve around badges uh, clipping slightly into someone's shirt. So we always prioritize them as showstoppers. Um, we've gotten a lot of those. No. Um, we actually do. We get a lot of costume bugs. I know that Reddit likes to call it Space Barbie, which is okay because I actually spend a good amount of time making my own test characters. I have... I have approximately... 400 characters across 30 accounts. It's all internal. Um, I've done this a lot. Right. So, but characters, character stuff is like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you want to look pretty, so that's that's fine. The biggest ones that we have are uh, a uh, blockers. Like, if you run into a room and the door's locked and you can't finish the mission, so it's like, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. Peace out. That's also, like, crashes, like the crash I mentioned before. There's two different kinds of crashes. There's one on uh, server side, one on client side. If the server side crashes, it's going to go server not responding and never going to come back. That's how you know it's their side. If it's your side, your game's just going to close. And, and it's going to a little white box. And you get the little white box with the, with the error tracker, which we use and are awesome. And we need them. So if you find one that says, please leave this open so we can download it, please do, because we totally use them, because we need that code. Um, so there's crashers, there's blockers. Oddly enough, well, not oddly enough, if the lore is wrong. I mean, Christine's usually real good with that. But every once in a while, something's a little off. So that stuff's actually pretty important. Difficulty is hard to describe, because... I can look at an encounter and say, that's way too hard, or that's way too easy. But then there's some people that are ten times better than me. The ones with the, the 60k DPSers are like, eh, this is whatever, I'm just going to run down here. I can't test for that because I'm not a wizard. <laughs> I mean, I am, but not that kind of wizard. But that is like a small bit of the player base, and they're the real dedicated types. So they're the ones that want the hard stuff. And if you can, just bump it up to Elite, because Elite's way harder now. But the vast user base is, like, sort of middle of the road, sort of play it, play it safe. So we got to keep the balance good. Everyone has to be in the right costume. Uh, recently, we've been doing uh, voiceover checks to make sure that all the voices are playing properly. And everyone's... I mean, we don't want the, the doctor to sound like Seven, right? I mean, I might, but... But that's no good. You can't have that. I want seven sounding like Neelix. We need that. That is that, is, that in the blooper reel. I cannot talk further about that. That is personal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, the the bit the biggest bugs are the ones that stop people from being able to play, 
or you get to the point where it's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Right. So uh, if, if there's like a costume bug or something, it's like, yeah, but does it, see, does it stop you from playing? If you're weird, maybe, but hopefully not. What advice would you give to uh, players or, or on the forums in order to make their feedback as useful as possible, like as productive as possible towards getting things resolved? Two things. One, please include the steps and how you figured out what to do, like the last maybe five things that you did or something weird that you did. And second of all, screenshots are the greatest thing ever. I take hundreds a day probably. Greenshot is a great uh, screenshot program. It's open source, free. I use it all the time. It's really cool. But yeah, if you can get a screenshot, upload it to wherever, or if you're going to make a YouTube video, that's even better. What best we can use is to look at what you did and see the difference. And if we can see, like, first it was X and then it was Y, then that's going to help us a lot. So screenshots and videos, if you can, please. Cool. Well, Phil, I mean, is there anything else that, you know, you've seen from the community that you wanted to address, any type of feedback that you feel goes misunderstood in terms of how QA is handled with Star Trek Online? Well, this is something that has mired me since I entered QA, God, 10 years ago. It's a long time. But the, the one thing that always irks me is that if someone finds a bug, they're like, oh, why didn't QA find this? QA probably did, but it couldn't get fixed in time. This goes back to, like, I used to, I worked at EA and you know, Tatari and all these other places. They have something that's called KS, known shippable. So when a game is about ready for release, which is usually where QA comes in is at the end of the project, they will find a bug and it'll go out to development and they will say, well, that's a shame, but is it going to keep us from releasing this game? No, we don't have the time. Known shippable. So please don't blame QA for bugs because most of the time it's just because we ran out of time. And it's not, it's not out of incompetence, it's not out of timetables or whatever. It's just that you, at some point you have to stop and release the game. So sometimes you just got to let it go. Yeah. Is there something in your work uh, on Delta Rising specifically, like a favorite thing that you've seen or something that you personally found that uh, you're, you're really glad didn't slip through the net or, or just something you're looking forward to reaching the public eye? I am super stoked about this expansion. I think it's the best work we've done. It's the most creative work we've done. And now that we've got all the Voyager people in, it's real. It's real good because we didn't get the vo- we didn't get the voices in until pretty recently, actually. And before it was sort of a it, we were tearing through this content pretty quick. But as soon as they dropped the voices in, it's like whoa, this suddenly it gets real. So I am super excited to hear what people have to say specifically about the first episode that you get in. It was done by Jesse. It's called Mindscape. It is incredible. And I just had so much fun working on that. So 
as soon as you get into the Delta Quadrant, you go to Mindscape and just have your mind blown. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Phil, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Priority One and helping us better understand what you know what it is to QA a game, you know, and make sure that uh, what is out is something that that is not only playable but enjoyable. I mean, this is a game that we're also very passionate about, and we appreciate the work that you do and making sure that uh, we can keep doing it. Well, thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll keep bringing the quality to y'all. Absolutely. Nice shirt. He's Thank you. A priority one T-shirt. Well, I, I like this shirt. I, it's it's a little dirty, but I kind of wanted it to say I sent priority one to Las Vegas, and all I got was a stupid shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Phil, again, thank you so very much for sitting down and chatting with us here on yeah, this thank fr- you guys. Friday evening and just before the holiday weekend and, and Delta Rising. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. And, Captains, our next interview is with Adam Flores, environment artist, Chris Dodds, content designer, and Matt Miller, content designer here at Star Trek Online. Gentlemen, thank you for spending your afternoon with us here on Priority One Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Now, all right, so we're only a few days away from Delta Rising, and uh, it's some exciting times. Why don't we first go around and and give you the opportunity to introduce yourselves, uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you do, and maybe a bit of a day in the life. Uh, why don't we start with uh, you, Adam, please. Sure. Uh, I'm an environment artist. We're here working on us on Stowe. And what I do is I work with designers like Chris and Matt. And together we, we white box levels. We, like, we, we do some game design, you know, get some gameplay fleshed out. And then I take lots of time to <laughs> pull them up to the visual standard that we're trying to give for you guys. We want, we want to make them look as good as we possibly can and that's what I pretty much do every day. It's really just day in and day out of that. It's trying to create environments that are as indicative of the Star Trek universe as possible. How long have you been at Cryptic? I've been here since I think October of last year. Okay, great. So actually, well, actually no, it was the year before that. Sorry. It's every day you do the same thing so it's like you lose track of time. Uh, yeah, I've been here a little over two years and uh, it's been great can't complain awesome awesome uh chris yeah so uh i do content design and more specifically i do cues that's pretty much all i work on are are the cues yeah so i do that and then um i worked on a handful of other missions i've actually did a priority one on one of my first missions alpha which was a Klingon mission, which I, I totally had fun with and got to do work on for way too long. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I do I do the Q work and stuff like that, and, and at this moment I'm just bug-squashing. So, and, yeah. A lot of new stuff with Delta Rising with uh, Qs, a lot of changes. Uh, yeah, well, I had a hand in, like, setting up the big changes, but I didn't, you know, go in and do a whole lot of them myself. I was just focused on the new cues specifically. But yeah, there's a bunch of big changes, and it's mostly because we want the players to have the breadth of experience that the cues offer, and so we're trying to make changes so that it's not, you know, particularly optimal just to do this one, but to do them all, and that you can have that experience, you know, throughout the whole thing. Yeah, so... Matt, please. Uh, so yeah, I'm Matt Miller. I'm a content designer on Stowe. Uh, like Chris was saying, we make uh, we do a lot of the content. Uh, some of the stuff that I worked on uh, when I first started working on Stowe, I was put on creating the Klingon tutorial. 
and uh, doing that. And then after the, doing the Klinger tutorial and doing that early Klingon content, I was doing the Federation, new Federation tutorial. So I was sort of the tutorial guy for quite some time. And uh, most recently I've been working on uh, Delta Rising and doing a bunch of the patrol missions for that. I did a couple of the episodes for that, including the one that's coming out in November uh, with the help of the other designers and the artists and then uh, working on the queues and doing all those improvements that you've seen to all the older queues. Uh, that was uh, pretty much what I'm kind of still doing is, uh, is working on that, even though we're days away from release. So. Now, you mentioned uh, before the interview that uh, people might recognize you for some other work that you've done here at Cryptic. Yeah, um, I started work at Cryptic a million years ago uh, working on City of Heroes. And uh, I was a designer on City of Heroes, then I was lead designer on City of Heroes, and people know me as Positron from there. I went and worked at Paragon Studios, working on City of Heroes for five years, and when City of Heroes was shut down, I came back to the place I love, and that's Cryptic, and I'm happy to help out on Stowe. That's phenomenal. So, well, welcome back, and it's, it's good to have you back. So let's talk a little bit about Delta Rising. Why don't we start with probably the biggest challenges you might have faced in developing content for Delta Rising. Why don't we, uh, so Matt, why don't you go ahead and start? Sure. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges was uh, bringing new stuff to the player and stuff that's specifically oriented around the Delta Quadrant, right? Uh, because this is an entire area of space we haven't been to before, and it's got all new species, all new ships, all new environments, all new top to bottom. Uh, and making sure that we addressed the Voyager storylines that, that the players knew and loved and uh, making sure that you know it really felt like they were in the Delta Quadrant and not just you know some missions here and there that use you know the voice actors and the species. I mean, we really wanted to make it feel like a Delta Quadrant experience. Now, what type of new tech might have been introduced to the development of, of Star Trek Online that might have improved new queues, new events, uh, and new content? What, what have you had at your disposal that has, that's helped improve the quality of content? I think experience. I mean, we've, we, we did Legacy of Romulus, and we learned a lot about how far we can push our engine. And specifically with queues, we learned a lot about how we can use regions in a much more clever way than we had before. And that went a long way to helping us do what Matt was talking about, which was finding a new way to play Star Trek, to set up to have, you know, like make the Delta Quadrant feel different from the Alpha Quadrant, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, one of the other pieces of new tech, I mean, we've had, we have more voice in this expansion than we've ever had before and uh, so we got some new tech in actual writing of missions to easily mark out which lines are voiced and who voices them so that uh, the sound department could just do a dump of all that stuff into an Excel file and then it's just all right there as opposed to combing through everything we've done and saying is this voice is this voice which is what we've had to do in the past so getting some new tools was very helpful. On the art side, uh, we actually had a little more time to work on this than we had previously had, so we were able to bring things up to a level of polish that previously we were not able to because we were trying to do so much in, in such a short period of time. Like, Legacy of Romulus came out great, but we kind of, there were parts where we were and we felt like we could push it a little bit further, and I feel like with uh, Delta Rising, we absolutely were able to. As far as the patrols, I noticed that they seem to have a little bit of a different feel to them. They still progress the story, often in subtle ways. I've done, I think, three of them so far, and 
it seemed like each of them had some throwbacks to things I encountered in earlier patrols or in the uh, episodes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We uh, When we did the patrols, uh, we knew basically where they were going to take place timeline-wise in the story arc. Uh, so we knew we could, you know, we could call back on, you know, oh, they've done this story, so we don't need to reintroduce this race, right? But a lot of the times it was, this is the very first time they're going to see the cooperative, right? We have to make sure that we explain who the cooperative are. We have to make sure that we call back to the episodes that referred to the cooperative so that if somebody, want, you know, it can either ring a bell with them or if they want to know more information, they can go look up and watch that episode. Uh, that same thing happened for, like, the APU and the Benthans and, like, all the different races that we used. Um, just make sure, make sure you, you know, make the player feel like they're playing Voyager stuff. So then, and you know, having a good plan going in on those patrols was one of the ways we accomplished it. Very cool. As far as relating that to the cues, which I haven't gotten a chance to try out many of the cues, but I see from the way they are also unlocked at specific points in the story that it's also in support of that same concept. Yeah, I mean, the story coming into Delta Rising was really known. Like, they had a really good handle of what it was going to be, and there might have been some details that were getting fleshed out as we were going along, but for the most part, we all knew exactly what was going on when, so we didn't have to make, you know, just a cue that was kind of floating out there, but we could tie it to something a little bit uh, deeper in the story which, you know, was fun. Let's talk about the difficulty changes, right? So we've got the new elite, right, where advanced is now... What used to be elite. What used to be elite, right. So what do you do differently in creating a mission to make it elite? What is going to differentiate between advanced and elite? And, you know, we keep hearing time and again is that you're going to want the Mark 14 gear, you're going to want the Mark... But what is what are you doing that is going to require that that makes it different from, from previous cues? So the very first thing is the enemies are going to be a lot tougher, right? Uh, they're going to have better shields, they're going to have resistance, they're going to have more hit points, and they're just going to be, in general, harder to kill, right? Uh, and then... You know, each mission itself, or each each queue itself, has three versions, except for the new uh, one of the new queues, which just has an elite version. But all the other ones kind of have three versions, where you have a normal version, which has an optional objective in it, and then that optional objective becomes required in the advanced version. So now you have to do that, or you will fail, right? But then that advanced version has a new optional objective in it. Now that new optional objective, in addition to the first one, become required in the elite queue as well. So you really should have mastered the advanced queue before you try the elite queue because if you don't know how to do that optional objective there's no way you're going to win right and it just makes playing the queue feel more dynamic you have more objectives to accomplish in addition there's also in the elite mode an additional optional for you to strive for even after you've beaten the regular elite mode and those i made sure when i put those additional optionals in that they were hard they were things that players will look at and I when I would go around I'd go hey what about doing this for an optional for this and they're like I don't even know if that's possible and then I would check and I was like it is possible but you need to know what you're doing in order to pull it off and everyone's like put it in so even the elite queues have some crazy optional objectives as far as the level that the enemies are playing at are a lot they're a lot harder to kill like for my personal level that I play on for just my difficulty level I I'm play at normal but he plays at elite 
<laughs> so is it similar? Is the rankings kind of similar to that? Yes, they are, uh, they're going to uh, have some of the same uh, buffs applied to them okay. uh, when, you're, when you play on the difficulty slider elite and then the elite mode Q. Okay, so you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. if I'd go that yeah. far. One of the, the big keys that we were looking for is, you know, we, you know, we've watched videos of people playing through the STFs and playing through the Qs often enough to where we were able to identify some of the things that I like to call the dance, where players knew the, you know, the dance. So it was just the, the game was calling out the, the, the time and players were taking the steps as it, was, as, as it came along. So one of the things we're trying to do is the further you get into the difficulty, the trickier those steps become and the more reliant on your teammates you become to be able to accomplish that, which in, in a lot of circumstances can be the, the, the wall you hit for failure, you know, that your team isn't communicating and things like that. And that's, you know, it's acceptable because we, you know, once you get up to elite, we want you to be like on team speak or whatever chat and, you know, like communicating and saying, oh, we need to do this or adapting to new situations. So, And this is where it's probably going to be important to have somebody like an engineer and somebody like a tactical. I mean, I think that the addition to that type of an optional in, in a mission like the Planet Killer Q, I forget the name of the mission off the top of my head, where you have to save the planet. Undina Soul. Yes. A great touch. It's something that I know that I've been, you know, really harping for, hoping for rather, uh, for quite some time is the mm -hmm. ability to rely on your team members. That feeling of, I'm a tactical officer, I need to go do something as, as a tactician. Somebody who's an engineer needs to go take down these, these shields. Um, so that, that adds an, an amazing level of, of uh, intricacy where, yes, you're going to want to get on TeamSpeak, and I think that adds a level of camaraderie for, for every any community uh, of, of gamers. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and this I, I did read, is that uh, the, some of the new cues will have varying directions, right, that if it may not play the same way twice. In some cases, what can, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's the the new Vaudoir STF Elite only mission, and there's a few things. Uh, I was telling you about this dance that I you know I was describing, and that's just the way I think about it in my own my own head. But um, and so I was like, well, how can I trip the player? Because in, in essence, in Elite, that's what my job is is to trip the player. Like they know how to play the game. I'm not trying to hold their hand and teach them how to play it anymore, right? Uh, I'm trying to trip them up and throw challenges in, in their way. And one of the ways I thought about that was, like, what if they don't know what the dance is going in, you know, when they before they start, you know. So we, uh, we talked about it, and we decided, well, we need to have some things that they know how to do that, you know, like, okay, let's get you through the gate. You can always know how to get through the gate check, and the boss fight's going to be the boss fight because those are two, you know, like, ones to weed out the people who can't do it. And then the ones to, you know, to give you that memorable high point, right? So we want that to not be random because random's not always so good, right? But the middle bits, that's where we could mess you up, you know? So, you know, that, that was a... It, it took some time to figure out, but once we got it, I, it, it feels real so good. So you built a square dance. So you want to trip people and make them throw up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an evil dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that was the whole key. It was just, a, you know, you would go in and you'd be like, oh, no, we're doing this, and we thought we might be doing that. You know what I mean? So. How much of the community feedback do you take into consideration when developing something like a new queue, something like a new mission or patrol mission. When you see a forum post, what do you try to take away from that and how does it influence, if anything? I definitely don't want people not to have fun, right? If something is, 
is frustrating or uh, you know just anti-fun, then that's something I, I definitely want to take care of. I want to make sure that you know even though you might have to do this a few times, you might have to uh, you know run through the patrol missions you know several times in order to get enough XP for the next story mission. Um, I want to make sure that you're going to have fun. And one of the things we did with the patrols again was added a lot of randomness to each patrol. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't just the same exact patrol every time you win in. Sometimes A is going to happen, sometimes B is going to happen. Sometimes you're going to get this to fight, sometimes you're going to get a completely different enemy group to fight. Uh, and then you got to figure it out from there. Um, and so, you know, because we know the players are going to want to go back and redo this content and, uh, and you know, make it, make it fun by making it diverse. We also use art to do that for patrols as well. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't know how many of you guys have been through, but we really wanted to make them all feel pretty different and, and like, you know, just varied and just, you, 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 we wanted to give you a sense that you were really exploring the Delta Quadrant in a way that you weren't just like doing, oh, here's another patrol and it all looks like the last, last patrol I was just in. We right. want to give you an actual feeling of, of um, exploration. Well, you got to create some new space environments, like the, the Borg battlefield yep. with all the debris, um, some new uh, planet designs. Actually, that's something I want to ask about is where, you know, Voyager, it's, it's not on HD yet, right? So you can't find it on HD if, and if you know, you can watch it on Netflix. Um, where do you draw your inspiration from when, when building a whole new sector like that and, and art for Well, actually, what Charles did, their, their lead, was they wrote out a whole kind of path that they're going to take through the Delta Quadrant. And there were kind of landmarks, you know, like here's the void or here's... The uh, like we did with we did with the Azure Nebula and New Romulus, but we also did like a, like the Zoll system. Or there's visual indicators all over the Delta Quadrant. So um, in the creation of those um, patrols, what we would try to do is always try to include somewhere to kind of help you not just orient while you play, but also orient you in in the quadrant itself. So that was kind of how we approached it. We actually had a whole map and it was just like, imagine if you were driving across the country and be like, okay, this mission is going to take place in Kansas. And what's in Kansas? It's these four things. So that's kind of how we, how we would build it out. Yeah, there's one mission I work with Adam on uh, where uh, this is one of the story missions where you start off at a space station in deep space, right? And Adam put this really cool like nebula rift right near the space station. Giant, takes up most of the sky. Uh, and then you, you know, travel to a planet that's nearby, and when you get to that planet, you can see that exact same rift, except for now it's in the distance. It's in, the, the, sky. It's in the sky. On right. the ground or on sorry, in space? Both. Both. Oh, wow. Well, the, the, yeah, the, the idea is you're like, oh, I was there, now I'm here, but wow. you have, you, you feel like you're actually, it, things start to feel connected to each other. And then, uh, just last week, I was flying through sector space, mm -hmm. and that exact same rift was recreated in sector space, and I was able to fly through it, and I was like, this totally, like, this entire mission is all tied together from this one signature piece of art. The main goal that we try to put forth, try to get through with our art at Onsto is just kind of strengthen the identity of where you are and give you a sense of place. Like like what Matt's saying, when you go from sector space to a space map to a ground map and there's consistent elements throughout all of them, you feel like you kind of can orient yourself. You understand where you are as opposed to just completely disparate elements that are you know disconnected. Yeah, which can be tough, especially in space and with map transitions that are like literally teleportation in the Star Trek universe, yeah, right? Exactly. You, you didn't traverse the intervening distance. No, no. How are you trying to 
trip up players in, in these in these uh, in these queues. What what yeah. what do you? Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, give us some spoilers. Spoiler alert. So um, so like think about like your standard STF. Like you go in and you know uh, it's infected. Or, no cure. No, kid him report. Okay, so you go in. That's the gates on the the side. You got to stop the 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 dudes from going into the other gate, right? So everybody knows what that strip, what the optimal strategy is. You know, you send some guys over here. You send some guys over here. You have a guy kind of running in the middle, shooting guy. You know, shooting the um, you know, shooting down the the um, the board. The we board just probes, she right? just did that mission. And Skippy gave him the hardest time for being in the middle. He's like, you don't need to be in the middle. No one ever needs to be in the middle. Well, not but well. You were right. Yeah, you need to be in the middle. Well, see now in advanced <laughs> mode, you can't let any probes right. through. Right. So these new difficulties are going to push you a little harder to perform the the, the strategies. The, the known strategies, right? They're gonna, you're going to have to push a little harder to get them. What I tried to do for, with the Vaudoir STF is that you can't go in expecting that the dance will be A, B, C, D. Because it could be A, then it could be Q, Z, and D. You see what I'm saying? And the next time you play it, it's something else. Or it can be the same thing. But you never know. So the dance, like, you um, say you go in with the pug, it'll be much more difficult for you. Not that I'm against pug groups or anything like that. But it's going to be much more difficult for you because you're going to have to have some sort of way of communicating. Oh, we're doing this. Is everybody on the same page? That sort of thing. How many variables would you say there are? How many different ways of... Uh, right now, there are four different options. And so after you pass the gate check, you'll get your first challenge. And then whatever of the three remaining challenges that are left will be randomly selected. So you'll, there's four at the beginning. The next challenge, it's a pool of three. And then it's the boss. And so it'll have a, you know, there's a bunch of different combinations that are possible with that. So you'll get two out of the four in total in any possible In order. any possible So it order. might be several times that you've tried it before you've even seen them all, let alone figured out how to exactly. beat them all. I noticed in Borg Disconnected, when you scan for to release the disconnected Borg. If you take aggro, it's just completely ruined it and you have to... Yeah, that's intentional. That. But, <laughs> but when you close the ending rift, you can t- get all take all the aggro that you receive. I mean, it still we, closes, so what determines... We, designers have. We, yeah. can, we can set like whether or not aggro is going to interrupt your bar or not. And we, we think about it every time we do it because... Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want it to be part of the challenge that you should not be being shot when you do this, then we make it interruptible. Because like but mirror if, event, yeah. that was all, you could right. never get shot. Yeah, um, but the ob- object there is to get as many as you possibly can, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, so in events like uh, like that one you were talking about or like the Undine Shipyard, um, where those things are the key to moving forward, you definitely want to make them interruptible. Otherwise, people are going to blitz through your mission in two minutes. So what's, like, the best advice for me if I don't want to get hit while I'm scanning? Because I always get hit when I'm scanning those. Right. So drop aggro. You know, once you, uh, when you get out of battle, don't use uh, auto fire on your weapons. Because um, usually you're going to pull aggro. The, what's going to happen is you're going to come in, and either there's going to be an enemy that hasn't been engaged by somebody there. So say you've got uh, you and another person are over a platform and you're trying to, to work together. Um, and you're the guy who's going to click on the clickies, right? 
and the other guy is going to get the aggro. Well, if he misses aggro, you might pick up that aggro, and then now you can't click the clicky, right? So it, it's a combination of, you know, you having your teammate doing their job full, to the fullest, and the other part is making sure that you don't have some of the auto features operating so that you don't shoot somebody and pull aggro away. So and if you go like in that. there and don't shoot anybody. Don't shoot anyone. Uh, if, if, you know, you can use, like, science confused powers or, or jam sensors powers to lower their perception so they don't see you or they're not aggroed on you, things like that. So but I think some of the intelligence powers have some aggro dropping powers. Yeah, at least uh, one of them does. Well. So. so a lot of players will, some, will post videos about, you know, how they beat no-win scenario in their one ship, um, you know, and, and things like that. When you look at a video like that, what um what what do you take away? What how do you how do you analyze that video? Uh, there's a video that came out recently of the guys beating the Vaudoir STF, right? So I spent about three hours watching that, listening to them, looking at the debuff or the debuff and buff icons that they're running, kind of analyzing what they were doing. I mean, you know, those guys. I I I'd love to you know chat with them and be like, hey, do you wanna you wanna play this more? See if you can beat it. But what you know you know get ideas from them and stuff like that on like what they think because i mean they're performing at the peak of of the player's abilities and you know i'd love to know what that peak is and how they're mastering it so that i can get them to not play at the peak anymore (laughs) 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 so i can mess them up you know because you know they're looking for a challenge that's why they're playing as as hard as they are and so um we're watching that and trying, you know, so when I watched that and then made a host of changes to the Vaudoir STF solely based off of their performance. Wow, wow, wow. And, uh, and you know, you brought up no-win scenario. That was that, that was a special case when we were redoing the queues, right? Because we knew that people wanted to do it. We, you know, it's a, it's a good, like, you know, kind of horde mode style thing. And, you know, the players are pretty powerful now, and that was one thing that wasn't accounted for when it was made years ago. Uh, so when we went back and we redid the queues, it now has three versions. It has a normal, advanced, and elite. No win? No win, okay. right? Uh, you can only get the game broadcasting accolades in elite mode, and elite mode is super hard. I will, like, it's basically a challenge reset on no win scenario. It's, I don't think anyone's going to be two-manning it anytime soon. For the people that have already gotten the accolade... They'll keep it. They'll keep yeah. it? Okay. <laughs> Did you get it already? No. Did you? Oh, no, it's too late. I'm have here. To I can't go do it. Well, well yeah, so I mean, you can log in tonight. So the way random works kind of strange in, in general because you know, throw like a whole bunch of random numbers out there, they usually don't make any sense. And so that's why we have the start at the beginning because we are like, this has to make sense. It has to have some sort of context. It has to tell you where you're, where you're starting and where you're going. Uh, other than that, it was all a matter of when the players load in. It, it there are some variables that are set on the map. You know, I aptly named him challenge one and challenge two right challenge one uh you know and it sets hey i'm gonna set challenge one to a variable of one through four right or a random number one through four and then uh and then it sets challenge two to that same to a variable one through four and then it says oh did these match uh do it again and then it does it until they don't match and then so that's how that's set up and then uh it's really just a matter of trying to get the player to feel like they're in a really big battle. So I stuck you in different regions to make, you know, to contain it and make it a little easier to debug on myself. But yeah. What are you most proud of with Delta Rising? Probably the level of polish we've been able to get. I know it's not like a broken record saying that, but you know, a lot of a lot of the time, at least 
myself and the other environment artists and, and the character guys and the effects guys as well, it's not that, like, we, it, you, we have to stop working on things a lot earlier than we would like to. I mean, you know, as you know, obsessive artists, we probably would want to work on them indefinitely. But the more time you give us, the better things look. And whenever we get more time, that always makes it for a, makes for a better product. So, for Delta Rising, we really we did get more time, and it did come out a lot better. So, I'm really excited to see how people receive it. Uh, I have two answers for this. Uh, the big feature that I am most proud of in Delta Rising as a team is the episode where you go around and kind of recruit the different species into the Alliance. Uh, for that one, we got to use the bulk of all of the voice actors that we brought in. And each one had their own section and each one you work with. And playing through that one with all the voices and all the, uh, all the, all the reads that everyone gave us, I had to go to Christine and I said, that was probably the most fun I've had playing Star Trek. Right. Uh, that was it was just it was great. You know, it's a space mission, which is our strength. And, you know, each one has their own little individual story. It's like doing five kind of patrol missions all strung together with a story. You can do them in any order that you want, uh, which was kind of fun. And uh, and each character got to have their hero moment alongside of you. So it was it was really, really fun. Um, and then on a on a personal pride moment uh when we were doing the patrols uh we were told that if we had any ideas for patrols outside of the ones that you know kind of came down from above we could pitch them and i pitched an interstellar rally one because that was one of the signature episodes of voyager where tom paris races the delta flyer in the interstellar rally and you know we had the we had the tech to do racing from the rise of summer event and i mocked it up i grabbed a shuttle i created gates and I had a ton of fun just playing the mock-up. I had other people in the mock-up. They're like, wow, this is, this is actually really fun, right? And so I was able to put in an interstellar rally-like uh, patrol mission in there for players to, you know, run their shuttle as fast as they can through gates and try and beat, you know, the Tom Paris's time on the course. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun putting in. Exactly. Matt was saying for the uh, team-wide thing, I think the Kabali Adventure Zone is fantastic. I mean, I just, I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. I think Sean just, you know, went in there and owned it like a boss. So, you know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And I think it, you know, it's, it's an action-packed zone. So, you know, I'm really excited about that one. And then, um, you know, I think the, uh, something I, ever since I started working on cues, I had wanted to do one where you warped in did some battle warp out and i get a chance to do that so i'm pretty stoked about that so you know i'm pretty happy with the vaudoir one you know and i'm pretty happy with the disappointment um uh failure contact you get from harry kim oh people have been oh. talking about that online already yeah. it makes you feel so bad. oh i know and it I, you know like i'm sitting there and i'm working through it and i'm like you know I'm, there's something missing ah, i know what it is <laughs> so i i begged and pleaded and got a disappointment letter and uh I, I just love the reaction it's getting online you know i read through all the whole reddit thing and i was <laughs> i was sitting i was sitting out i was sitting with my wife while i was reading it laughing trying to explain it to her but you know it just doesn't translate well that way but uh it was uh, it was big fun to to just see that reaction you know now what would uh what would be the best way for players to offer their feedback you know whether it be a patrol mission whether it be a queue 
you know, you saw the video, for instance, and I know they're going to hear it and they're going to be like, oh, well, we've got a ton of ideas and they're going to hit, you know, Reddit and they're going to try to, you know, uh, offer their uh, their input. What is the best way to, to, to catch your attention so that, that that feedback, they feel that their feedback is heard? Oh, we read all the feedback. Like, there's no real best way. Like, we got, you know, if I'm not reading the forum, someone is. And if they, if there's, you know, something valid on there, it'll get, it'll make its way to my desk. Uh, if I'm not reading Reddit, someone is, and I'll get alerted, you know, about, you know, hey, this is this is what they're talking about on Reddit. You know, this these are these are bugs they're seeing. This is some improvements they wanna they want made and things like that. So like, it's not like there's any best way. Well, well, let me ask this: What would be if somebody were to write the, the best type of feedback, what would you look for in terms of uh, the way they structure it, the way they talk what about it? What advice would you give yeah. them to make sure that it's useful yeah. to you? Yeah. I think that one of the things that they should do, that which would help us out immensely, is they should think like a game designer when they're giving their feedback, right? Think through what they're asking for and you know, if it's possibly exploitable or if it makes things too easy or if like it just does it's it's gonna make things not fun for a whole bunch of other players, that's the type of feedback that's probably not gonna get anywhere. But if they're thinking about like, hey, I think you can improve this mission and this is how and this is how the players are gonna react to it and just think through like the ramifications of what the small changes are gonna make to the entire, you know, mission or even the entire story arc things like that that helps us out a lot because then then we don't have to feel like jackasses by saying we're not doing that because it's, it's all you're doing is just in, introducing a big exploit mm-hmm. so yeah i think you know it's definitely have have the mindset of that we're we're trying to make a game for an audience of people not just a person so that's you know there's a, you know there's a lot of variables in, involved in that you've got to consider and then the other part is it's a you know, like try to be as clear and constructive as possible. You know, l- less rant, more explanation. Yeah, I would say try to yeah. be as uh, objective as you can, as opposed to being subjective. Like you could just say, "I hate it. It's dumb." But that, great. I can't use that information at all. Now I know your opinion. You know, like it, that's not as useful as well. You were missing this, and it should have had that. And I know, like a lot of Trek fans, really like to point out when things are not correct. <laughs> so, what do you mean this game is not for me? Like, like, the, like, like, for that, like there was a point where I was working on uh, ESD and I was making the the med bay, and like the lights on the walls of the med bay, I had uh, Nick, one of our other artists, correct me and be like, no, no, they're actually structured like this for this reason. And because of that, people were like, it's correct, you know. But like that, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's, you know, like. You guys, like, a lot of the fans like accurate depictions of things that are Trek. If you point those out, that's great. That helps us immensely. And one thing, if you are going to point out things like that, you know, they should be aware that there's there might be a good reason why we're not able to right. uh, make it as hyper-accurate as they expect. I know uh, the interior of Voyager, for one thing, uh, there are some rooms that are next to each other on our version of Voyager that are not next to each other. They're on two entirely different decks in the real Voyager, and that's just because we don't have that much room and space to make another whole deck uh, for the Voyager interior. We have to kind of live with what we have. Right. And to that note, like, objects in space, like, we all understand that if you were to fly in space, it's literally full of nothing. That's why it's called space. But if, okay. you, but if you did, but if but if we made every patrol and every, like, every actual piece of space content with nothing in the environment, you wouldn't feel like you were moving, and you wouldn't feel like you were anywhere in particular. And it would, it would be, it would be very difficult to orient yourself, and it would be very, be very, um, 
Like any sense of motion, like let's say you got some new ship and it's a lot faster than your last ship. Well, there's nothing around you. You can't tell how fast yeah. you're going. So that's kind of, so a little bit of license has to be taken with it because it is a game, like Matt's saying. One, one of my favorite pieces, though, is performance feedback. Like, hey, I did this this way, this fast, you know. <laughs> Uh, I like knowing those things because it really helps us say, "Oh, this is how this is where the player curve is. This is where their mind is." You know, so it helps us just you know play to their the players' you know strengths and weaknesses. So, well, gentlemen, thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Priority One Podcast and talking to us about patrols and cues and 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 the nitty gritty how it's made and and what you guys what's running through your minds as you're creating these missions so thank you very much and we look forward to delta rising yeah. we look forward to you guys Thanks. playing it it's yeah. gonna be great Let us know what you think. Yeah, we're absolutely excited. oh every week yeah. <laughs> well that wraps up episode 194 of priority one podcast be sure to catch our episodes every monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com And don't miss our videos from our trip to Cryptic Studios by heading over to youtube.com forward slash P1 Network. And of course, you can visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for all of our content. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriorityOne. You can even join the Priority One chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. Would you like to get our content early? Find out about that perk and more by becoming a patron of Priority One Podcast. Visit patreon.com forward slash priority one to find out more. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Network's Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One Fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division, Warriors of Priority One. Join today. A special thanks to Perfect World Entertainment and Cryptic Studios for spending two full days with Priority One Podcast. And to all the devs of Star Trek Online that sat and chatted with us about the game. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy and Ben Churchill, and to QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, and to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. But most importantly, Admirals, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners, without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Um, gosh. Right, on, right off of something that you were just saying with... Um, what the devs were talking, like, telling us? No. Okay. Thanks, though. My, that was great. My pleasure. Good radio. I know. Hey, it's um, handling and post. Absolutely. Gotta love post. Make a grumpy noise. <laughs> Cookies. Well, haven't you heard? Star Trek Online's second expansion. Aww. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, haven't you heard? Well, haven't you heard? <gasps> Gee golly whiz. That was better, though. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll go all the way. <laughs> Let's check out what Star Trek magazine had to say about STO's Delta Rising. That was You said... Let's check out what Star Trek magazine <laughs> had to say about it. Elijah, trek it out. Well, admirals, gosh, I really have to start getting used to saying that. Admirals, admirals, admirals. Oh, my God. What? Sorry, the, my, my headphones, my, the other, do you know how one it, of it's my, working now? it's working now all of a sudden, and I don't want to move. And now, you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Join today. Nope, that wasn't... wasn't. (laughs) Oh, yeah!